0: earlier i had um i just put my music on shuffle and god rest you merry gentlemen came on in my shuffle and I thought, <laughs> oh, i'll thought, oh, i listen to that then because that'll get me in the, that'll get me in the mood is that on your <laughs> playlist then martin i just put all my musics on the ipod yeah and i just put everything on shuffle excellent at that particular moment so um yeah sometimes i'll choose an album
1: so you might be on a beach in the summer and get God Rest You Merry Gentlemen
2: then.
0: Well, if I put everything on, if I put everything <laughs> on shuffle,
2: yes, that's always possible. I bet it wasn't sung by a bunch of street urchins that look like something out of a Giles cartoon. <laughs> it definitely wasn't.
3: This isn't the BBC Light programme. <laughs>
2: Tony Hancock Appreciation Society presents ooh,
3: very nearly an armful—a Tony Hancock podcast.
1: Hello
2: and welcome to very. I nearly just realised,
1: arm- Martin, and this is the f- all through this series. I haven't interrupted you.
2: Well, just now. <laughs>
1: and
0: and, and he, he reminded listeners that that's what we did all last series. <laughs> <laughs> Reminds me of a goon show I was listening to this week. And there's one bit where the, where Wallace Greenslade is trying desperately to make his announcement. And Harry Seacombe, all the way through it, keeps saying, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which one it was. Um, the Great Bank Robbery, I think. Great fun episode. Shall I have another run at it?
1: I think you better. Hello,
0: run hello, it. and welcome to Very Nearly an Armful, brought to you by the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society.
1: On the podcast, we'll be discussing
2: Tony's famous series, Hancock's Half Hour.
0: We'll discuss the show, its production, and what we
4: like about it.
2: We rate and review the episode and just generally get our geek on about vintage comedy.
4: We're your hosts. I'm James Griffith. I'm Martin Gibbons.
2: I'm John Street, and I'm Tim Elms.
4: Spread across the south of the UK in line from Wiltshire to
1: Essex by Kent. And our members are spread all over the world. We have members as far
2: afield as Horncastle, Newcastle, and Barnard Castle. This is the second part of our review of Hancock's Happy Christmas, first broadcast on Sunday, the 23rd of December 1956. But first of all, our president has a recap of recent news.
0: Yeah, so sad news for this podcast. Uh, We've just heard that uh, Freddie Ross Hancock has passed away age 92. Freddie was Hancock's publicist and went on to have a very successful career in the States. But just importantly, she was Hancock's widow. She married in 1965. She did come to uh, a couple of Tony Hancock Appreciation Society events many, many years ago. And she said that she always enjoyed coming along because she said that you know more about my life than I do. So a lovely line from uh, Freddie from her visits to, uh, to our events many years ago. So sad news. Freddie, Hancock's widow, second wife, who we married in 1965, has just passed away in the States.
2: And in tribute to the late Freddie Ross Hancock, here's an interview clip of her from the Society's archives.
5: When did you first meet Tony? In Blackpool, as I'm sure Dennis May wilson will tell you. I was publicising the Ted Heath Band, um, and I was up there for the summer season. All the shows used to go up to Blackpool. And I was walking along in this very windy uh, promenade going towards Ted Heath uh, rehearsal hall. And coming towards me was a very windswept Dennis Mayne Wilson. And he was going to meet up with, at that time, he was dating a girl who was in the chorus of the show that Tony was in. And he said, come along with me. We'll have a, you know, have a drink and lunch. And so I walked along with him. And we caught the uh, last dress rehearsal of Tony doing The Crooner. And um, then I met him through Dennis in the bar afterwards. Um, And... uh, I've described this so many times I'm sure it's very boring but um there's always a sort of a high pitched tone about everybody when when they're doing dress rehearsals it's kind of nervous thing and into this high-pitched nervous thing Jimmy Edwards and all sorts of other people walked this sort of apparition that looked like a sort of a bloodhound in a thick sweater uh with these eyes and um i uh, was introduced to him and i don't remember saying this but he remembered me saying it and i said to him apparently you know very glibly as people our oh, people do um if i had a talent like yours i'd hold my head up high i wouldn't hang it down and we carried on arguing from the rest of our lives i mean he said what do you do and he thought of publicity agents as these sort of smooth people in the films that you see and didn't think of us as hard-working people who stuck labels on the back of photographs and so on and stick labels on the back of stamps and so on um, and envelopes. And so um, we argued for the rest of our lives, but I mean, about that. But it's very interesting because what I didn't know was from that moment on that I could get to him and speak to him when other people weren't allowed to. So that night we went to the first night, and he allowed me near him before he went on, which is apparently unheard of, you know, but I didn't know that. There's also something in my tone of voice which used to sort of calm me. It uh, doesn't calm anybody else. <laughs> what was
0: your impression of him at that time? Um, uh,
5: the same as it is today. A dedicated, committed um, person, a very professional person. Um, a man with tremendous opinions. He he had to pull words out of Once they came out, they were worth listening to. And once he relaxed, you know, he wasn't a show business personality. He didn't like um, that kind of behavior. We didn't go to first nights. We didn't live a show busy life. We lived a perfectly normal life. I mean, as far as it was possible.
2: That was Dave Miles talking to the late Freddie Ross Hancock, who died on the 27th of November.
0: Just a reminder to listeners that Network have released on DVD a box set called ABC Night In, Set Your Minds Free, which is four hours of 1960s television uh, over two discs. And included in the set is the only surviving episode of The Blackpool Show from 1966, which starred Tony Hancock as the compere alongside John Junkin as his stooge, and he also has a, a little solo, a little solo routine where he does a nice mock Shakespeare piece, which is uh, you know nice, nice to see. And it's the it's the only surviving episode from the series, and that is out now on DVD. At the time of recording this podcast, it was priced at ten pounds. I don't know if that's a, a pre-order uh, price and whether that's going to go up, but that's the price at the the last time I looked.
1: That's a fantastic price, isn't it, for the for, the, for the amount of TV on the discs?
0: And if you really fancy splashing out a little bit more, I think there are 13 of them in the series, all of them with about four hours' worth of 1960s material. Uh, so definitely one, one to look out for. A
2: few things to add to one's Christmas stocking there, I think, Martin. Indeed, definitely. And another piece of news we've had
1: uh, very recently is that the UK TV documentary on Hancock which we've been long waiting for, has now been set provisionally for the 14th of January, and that's going to be on the Gold Channel. So we're we're very much looking forward to that. We understand that immediately following the documentary will be the colorized versions of 12 Angry Men and the Blood Donor. So it'll be a whole night of Hancock on the Gold Channel, and we're very much looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, it should be a fantastic evening and be absolutely brilliant to see Hancock's Half Hour back on television. Uh, I know we had 12 Angry Men as part of the BBC 100 celebrations, but it will be fantastic to see a professionally colourised version of both that and the blood donor, um, in, uh, well, hopefully on the 14th of January. And uh, we believe that the documentary is two hours less adverts. So a really significant um, documentary from UK TV on the Gold Channel. Really looking forward to it.
2: It'll certainly be one
4: I'll be said in my calendar for. Can I ask you a question about that?
0: No, you're not allowed to ask questions. No,
4: oh, every time, <laughs> Tim. What's your personal opinions about the colorization of sort of old photos and new episodes? Interested here, what you think? Because I saw quite a bit of negativity on. I think some chap set up in a separate Facebook group.
1: Yeah, it's it's been an ongoing discussion for years about this ever since
4: colorization
1: first came about, and I think a lot of people. On the one side, they say, you know, they're very traditional. These programs were made in black and white. The photographs are made in black and white. Why don't you just let things stay as they are? That's how they were supposed to be, blah blah But there, there is another side to the coin in that colorization does bring these things to a new audience. Mm-hmm. And I think, particularly now, that the quality of the colorization is so much better than it was even a year or two ago then I think it's, it's worth exploring more. And I, for one, am particularly pleased that the Gold Channel are doing these episodes. I know there are purists who, who, who won't like it. yeah. No. But the fact is that, uh, you know, we've been wanting to get repeats of Hancock on the, on the proper telly for years, you know. And I know that we watch old films on Talking Pictures and that, but the, the bottom line is that the TV companies don't want black and white TV shows. And audiences don't want to watch them. And uh, although geeky people like us will always tune in, but putting them in colour will actually bring it to a new audience. And I think if if we can get some old shows, not just Hancock, but other things as well, on the TV, and when you look at the Steptoes in colour, they are glorious mm. compared to the original series in in the you know in the old black and white. It really it really brings a programme alive. So. Uh, I've, I've got no complaints about it whatsoever but I, I do see you know understand people's views who, who don't want to do it. and it's the same with the photographs you know I mean some of the colorizations we used to see a couple of years ago were, were quite rubbish really. And I say, well you know unless unless you can make it look real, don't do it is, is I guess my take on it. but've we've, we've put some lovely colorizations in the magazine haven't we John mm, one of our members
2: did those? What was his name? Sorry, Mark Hevingham has done a a few.
4: That's it. Yeah,
2: Um, I've done a couple, and Nick's done a couple. You've done some, yeah. And I think there's that thing of like if you sort of, and there are some episodes of Hancock's Half Hour that have been colorized in bunny ears, but using automated software that just you pop it in, it has a go. The colors move all over the place, and everything's a bit brown and sort of reddish. Um, and that doesn't work quite so well. It's, it gives you an idea of what it almost could be. But I think when you've got the artistry of it being sort of essentially digitally hand colored with some automation to help you along is different just to popping in and something being splurged out. So I think if it's done well, it can look good. And the problem is, is a lot of people have memories of it not being done well by AI software that people have then put on YouTube. Or if you think back to the 80s and what Hal Roach did to a lot of the Lauren Hardy films where it was colourised and not mm. particularly well, No, and, and that, that's the big difference. Another argument in this is that
1: a lot of the old comedies and TV shows that I like to watch from the 60s and 70s were made in colour, but very poor quality colours compared to what it is today, and you don't, you don't hear people complain when they're digitised or made into HD versions yeah. and things like that. And, you know, a lot of the shows you watch on TV now, compared to what we've got on uh, DVD or whatever, there's no comparison. They've been digitised brilliantly. And it's the same process, really, of, of improving the quality of
0: the picture. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm the same as you, um, Tim and John. I think if, it, if it's done well, mm. then I think it will potentially bring Hancock to a new, new audience. And most importantly, it will enable Hancock to be back on the telly because you aren't going to get any telly fans discovering hancock on the telly because he's just not on and i think if we can get more on the telly because they have been colorized and particularly we believe that the ones that are going out with gold will have been remastered first before they're colorized so they're not the the grainy editions from that have been commercially released they've been remastered from the original films and then colorized so re digitally and everything yeah That's right. So, I mean, they're still going to be from 1950s films, of course, but it's going to be the best possible quality that you can get from those films and then colourise. So if if it brings Hancock to new audiences, I think it's great. And it most importantly brings Hancock back on the telly, which is even more important. There's a fantastic Twitter account of a guy called Stuart Humphreys who
4: goes Mm. under Babel colour. Babel colour. And he... Yeah, he has absolutely fantastic images from sort of 120 years ago, sort of really rare snapshots in history and even, you know, probably minute-long videos of yes. central London in, you know, 1900, the people sort of crowding around and looking at the, because obviously a video camera had been very unique back then. It's absolutely oh, yeah, fascinating yeah. watching it. It's a real good snapshot of life 120 years ago.
2: It is and he's done a, I think he did a, a Doctor Who, and that's the thing, something, something like Doctor Who and other sitcoms of the 70s were made in colour, but now only exist as black and white telerecordings. So people don't have as much judgment of that being colour recovered or colourised, because it was originally in that sort of format. Had they had the option to do Hancock in colour, it would have been done in colour. It's not, you know, cultural vandalism, because you can still watch it in black and white. It would be different if it was artistically Like you wouldn't colorize, Mm. say, The Third Man, um, which is a film noir or anything like that. But other things, you know, yeah. And the person who is doing the colorization, I believe, is a chap called Clayton Hickman, who did a lot of, I think, Doctor Who DVD covers and artwork and bits and pieces before. So that's a name I've heard. And is that, John, Clayton's doing the ones for, for gold? As I understand it from something I saw on Twitter or Facebook or something somewhere.
4: Okay. Yeah. But this Babel colour guy, he's just... Um, because at the time of filming, we're approaching Armistice Day in a few days' time, and he's recolourised some images from World War I. It, it's just... I mean, it's, it's quite harrowing in a way, because you know what's happening, mm-hmm. but it's just a fantastic insight. I think it's absolutely marvellous, this. I really do.
2: Well, it's like that that film that um, the New Zealand who did uh, Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson made. I can't remember the name of the film, but it was about the First World War, and it was... All old film footage that had been speed reduced, digitally upscaled and colorized, and they'd put effects on everything.
0: He did a fantastic job on that, didn't he? Is that World War One in
2: color? Uh, no, it was a, a film. No. Oh, right.
1: Because they actually did like a documentary series, didn't they, with World War hmm. One footage that had been colorized. And that was the probably the first colorized thing that I saw that I thought, actually, that's quite good. Because I'd always been quite critical of it in the before that, because because of the quality.
2: Ah, well, the film was called They
6: Shall Not Grow Old, and here's a clip of Peter Jackson talking about how they restored the old footage. Well, the the, the big job is the restoring the black and white to black and white. It's you know you know to get from from bad black and white to good black and white is actually where most of the of the work is, um, and and you've got to do a, it's a multifaceted thing. It's 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 sharpening. It's getting rid of scratches. Getting rid of grain changing the speed, getting rid of um, splices. Sometimes you lose three or four frames in a splice. You've got to then have the computer create those, those, those three or four frames. What's actually pretty amazing now is that a computer, because it was also changing the speed. So imagine, you know, we're, say, say that, you know, everything's being screened at 24 frames, but some of the stuff was shot at 14, 15, 16 frames, 10 frames. And so you're now asking the computer to create the extra frames in between the ones that are there. Um, which is, I mean, it amazes me how well it can actually do it now. You know, you can actually have a, you can, if you tell the computer this is f- 15 frames a second, but we want it to be 24, the computer, without you just press a button, you don't actually, it's no, no, it's no human involvement. The computer will actually generate, it'll take the frame before, the frame after, and it'll generate these frames that don't exist. With the, with, with the original material and create its own frames. And it comes, it's incredible the, the results that you get. And then the colorization is, there's nothing difficult about the colorization, but it's just very labour intensive. It's just, you know, the better, the more you spend on it, the more time you spend on it, the better you get. That's really the simple thing with, 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 um, with the colour work. Because the war was a colour war, you know, that was what, the purpose of what we were doing was to try to to make a film where you're listening to the people that were there and you're seeing it as they saw it. They saw it in colour, not, not in black and white, obviously. And it was a documentary
2: film about the First World War using footage, but you know, all digitally yep. um, upscaled and colourised and speed corrected. I mean, crikey, James Dean's going to be in a new film soon. So God knows what they'll be able to do in the future. They're CGIing him into a new film where he plays the second lead. Even though he died in 1950, whatever it was. It's a strange world. Fascinating. It is indeed.
0: It is a strange world, because if you're an ABBA fan and you want to go and um. see ABBA, you can now, can't you? Except that, of course, they're all holograms.
2: Yes. Exactly. That feels
0: quite bizarre to me, I must say. That you go along to hear the recordings of them, obviously played in a concert venue, yeah. but you're watching holograms. It's like the Les Dawson thing they did on telly. I'm not quite so convinced by that one. I've heard some people say it's
4: fantastic, though. Yeah, it's had really good reviews, hasn't it? Someone I know went they said it was amazing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. There's some amazing
4: technology out there. Sorry to take us off topic there.
2: No, that's that's a good topic. That's a good, On topic. Good, good, old, good little wormhole to go down, I think. Rabbit hole. Hmm. So I guess then it's time for the tweets and emails. Do we have any uh, tweets and emails this week, boys?
1: I've had a couple of emails in the last week or so. First of all, we're recording this soon after the. Uh, podcast we did on the uh, marriage bureau has been released and in that episode we, we was talking about the prisoner and uh the episode the girl who was death death i keep wanting to say death there instead of death but anyway the reason i raised that in the last podcast was because someone on twitter had said that uh, the guy who played number two in that looked like he was playing it in the style of Hancock and in fact Hancock would have been good in the part and, and we had an email from our good friend Elton Marion who is one of our members and uh, and he was saying that the guy who played number two in that episode was Kenneth Griffith who was yeah. also played Owen Bowen in The Assistant in the 63 yeah. Hancock series. <laughs> Hey,
3: if you come for the deliveries, they're not ready, see, and they damn well won't be ready till I get someone down here to give me a bit of a hand. Well, that's me. I'm the new assistant packer. Oh, and about damn time, too. Oh, English. <laughs> What's your name? Hancock. Tony. Tony Hancock. Owen.
2: Owen. Owen Boy. Oh, how'd you do?
3: Owen, though. No. As most people call you, Paddy? <laughs> great regard for the Irish, there was racehorses and potatoes and dipping in and out of bogs, planted peat. Fine people, yes indeed, fine people. I'm Welsh. Oh, I'm from the Rhondda Valley, boyo, where the best school in the world comes from. But you wouldn't know where that is, would you? You English, you never know nothing. It's a
4: great name. Yeah, it is a good name. Owen Bowen. Well, I was thinking Griffith actually, but carry on. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Elton was saying so he, he might have been influenced by Hancock in, into doing the part. So uh, well, I, we hadn't grasped that last time, so that, that was quite interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I I'd forgotten it was Kenneth Griffith, but I, I'm it wouldn't surprise me if he'd he'd worked with Hancock on more than that occasion, possibly on stage yeah. or whatever. But he was in lots of things, Kenneth Griffith back in the day. I've checked my family tree in a minute. I think. Yeah. <laughs> good old uncle ken had another email
1: from uh, matt newton and he was saying that uh, also in the same podcast we was talking about old programs and things and we was we was mentioning that uh, in the marriage bureau hancock when he's trying to impress the ladies wears an eye patch and i think there's a tv episode where he wears an eye patch as well and um, we was debating whether or not there was a uh, some sort of character back in the day who was a good looking chap who might have worn an eye patch. And what Matt was saying was that um, there was a female celebrity from the late 50s who wore an eye patch and that she was on a popular quiz show at the time. He thinks it might have been What's My Line or Face the Music or something like that. So um, he was wondering whether there was a connection there. I don't know if you guys know of any uh, female celebrity from the 50s who wore an eye patch. <laughs>
2: I don't know. The only one I can think of is Captain Marvel, and he's fictional, so um, <laughs> I'm not female either. Well, one for the listeners there. Uh,
0: one for yeah, the I listeners there. So. Uh, yes. um, yeah, that's yeah. definitely yeah. definitely one for the listeners. I'm I'm not aware of not aware of any.
2: Strikes me as something Marlena Dietrich might have done in a film once, doesn't it? Yes. Well, there is yes.
4: um, Raoul Walsh. He was in westerns and gangster movies, ah. and he wore an eye patch. Is is he an American? Think so, it is it's quite early though.
2: I get the feeling it's more of a upper class English type of thing, but uh, going back to the sort of Lord Nelson type thing, isn't it? Because it's, it's the ladies' man in that dream sequence where he's at the piano, yeah, doing yeah. his whole, yeah, uh, whole sort of charming his Noel thing. He's no coward, bit, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. totally ter- yeah. ter- 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 like that, like they did in 1940s movies.
3: You came. <laughs>
7: I couldn't keep away.
3: Naturally. (laughs) And your husband, Sir Sidney?
7: He's in Paris.
3: How boring. Out of season.
7: (laughs) I think he knows.
3: Knows? About us. About us?
7: Yes. (laughs) Who? (laughs) <laughs> Sir Sydney.
3: Good boring.
1: There was also an interesting tweet this week From uh, Barbara Weeks who's, uh, who's just joined us actually As a new member Welcome Barbara she, she did a tweet saying Oh I've just started watching the TV series And I was just wondering what the fans think Of the different formats Do you prefer radio or TV? And that started off a bit of a, a flurry On uh, Twitter but interestingly most people came down in favor of the radio rather than the TV. Yeah, I'm I'm with them. Yeah, that's yeah, me too. Yeah.
2: Well, that's you know, mm. I'm going to be difficult and say no. I think I I prefer the TV episodes in some respects. Mm. Um, you know, having the visual, particularly, you know, as I've got a few that have been upscaled a little bit, I've, uh, you know, they don't look too good on my OLED 4K television that I've got now, but uh, I spent 6 hours mounting on a wall yesterday. But uh, yeah, I I do like the TV dynamic, and I think a lot of those plots are much more that kind of more realistic element, although I like the wacky radio stuff. The almost double act with Sid works beautifully on telly. Mm.
4: Mm. I think it flows a lot better on radio for me, because obviously Mm. with you've got on the TV shows, you've got the set changes and the, the breaks in between, and it it kind of breaks up the flow quite nicely. You've got the
2: the silent bits of film with just music, Mm -hmm. haven't you, as sort of the the filler bits where they telecineed that in from location but without sound. So that doesn't work as well as a a modern TV technique.
0: I first discovered Tony through the radio. And it was years and years after I first heard a radio program before I finally saw something on on the telly. And that may be, but I I just like, I love the dynamic particularly of the the Hattie Jakes, Bill Sid James era in particular, which for me makes those two series stand above everything else for me. Mm.
2: I think I do for most people, it's a cracking formula with a cracking cast and they just hit the ball out of the park pretty much every time. Every single week, that's right. Even in the even in the male suffragettes, although those other bits of it are iffy.
0: <laughs> I, I was just going to say, with one exception, and that was the one exception. But uh, yeah. that's about some um, modern sensibilities and the subject matter rather than the acting.
1: Indeed, one of the replies on Twitter said uh, the TV series is absolutely brilliant. The radio series is better. Um, which I, I thought was a yeah. good way of putting it. That was from Maj- Major Gowan, that was. Do you remember Major Gowan from Forty Towns? Ah, oh. I do. Well, he's on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Noel Eaton was a bit controversial. He says, I've watched a couple of the TV shows, but don't find them at all funny. The radio show, however, was hilarious. So, mm. uh, strange. Yeah. bit controversial, I thought. Yeah. Yeah, that is a controversial one. Pete Mercer said that he, he thinks they're uh, uh, they're both equally as good. Um, so, yeah, um, no one really come out and said that the TV series was, was actually... I don't think anyone said the TV series was actually better than the radio. But um, it was either 50-50 or, or people went for the radio. It's quite interesting.
2: It is. It's, it's not one, isn't it? Because, you know... A lot of the TV stuff works, very well. A lot of the TV stuff that was mm. released on LP does very well, like the Lift mm. and the Twelve Angry Men.
1: Because cause it's the way you listen to, the way you listen yeah. to them, though, isn't it? Even, even if you've got one that's been released on LP that was a TV show, the fact is that when you're listening to the sound, I don't know about you, but I kind of, uh, you can either close your eyes and drift away and listen to it and get into it, or you can have
2: it on as background. Yeah, you know, and and neither of those things you, you can do with the TV yeah absolutely you can't put that in your airpods and listen to it while you're doing the washing up can you <laughs> unless you've got a tiny flat screen telly in the in the kitchen i'm not mm. quite going to those extremes
4: yet it could be exactly the same but if it's on the tv you just you'd like i say, like you could be constantly just looking mm. over see what's going on yeah that's true but i do like switching off and just listening to them because it's just quite therapeutic isn't it it's mm. just mm. very deaf with headspace yeah
2: yeah so, shall we now get back to talking about uh, Hancock's Happy Christmas? So, I believe you had a couple of tweets of quotes, Tim. Talking about uh, favourite
1: episodes, Christmas episodes, we, we had one response on Twitter uh, from Sigma Mr 81, who said, one of my favourites is the Trial of Father Christmas. Although, obviously, he hasn't heard the original, um, heard the Kevin McNanny recreation, and uh, he, he says that's his favourite. I think that was the only one we got who... Uh, the only tweet we got from someone who actually their favourite was one of the
2: lost episodes. Quite interesting. It's a cracking one though, isn't it? It's a cracking script. Um, yeah. If, if you yeah. hear that version, you enjoy You know, hearing the original. Mm. Cool. How wild would that be? You know, that would be a fantastic one mm. to be found if a lost one were.
3: It is alleged that the defendant Father Christmas alias Saint Nicholas alias Santa Claus, who was appointed by the governor. Yes, the symbol of Christmas spirit and goodness and kindness towards children has failed in his duty. Many children on earth on this Christmas morning are very unhappy due to his neglect. How does the defendant plead? Not guilty, Your Honour. I can't understand it. I've been doing the job for nearly 2,000 years. I haven't had any complaints yet. Me records as white as me beard. Mm, That could do with a wash. Well, that's not my fault. It's those reindeer kicking slush in me face.
2: And then you've got lovely little moments like um, where he sort of clonks Hattie because she's signed him up to something he didn't agree to. And uh, his excuses, no, no, kids are allergic to me. They come out in bruises.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Who, me? Kids? In this house? No, I don't think so. You made a mistake. Kids are allergic to me. Uh, Every time they come within a few yards of me, they they come out in bruises. You know, it's a strange thing. (laughs) no there's no mistake you sent a letter in answer to our appeal
0: and, and his comment after um, Patty's, Patty's little squeal is it's alright she'll be okay after the swelling has gone down Yeah. and it gets a huge <laughs> laugh from the audience oh, doesn't oh, that.
3: Oh, oh. signed on behalf of Tony Hancock Griselda Pugh secretary excuse me a minute ow <laughs> don't worry she'll be alright when the swelling goes down
4: <laughs> hello where's it put in as soon as they come in, hello, where's the pudding? Keep your coat on, there'll be no fires in this house. Yeah. But then just before that, he's inviting the vicar to come in and warm himself around a candle. Yes, that's right. He's only in it for their Christmas mummy.
3: Yes, make yourselves at home. Have you brought the turkeys with you? Well, let's
7: get our coats off.
3: Leave them on. There'll be no fires in this house, matey.
2: <laughs> you know, and then there's that moment
3: of, well, oh, actually,
2: perhaps you'd better look after our spending money as soon as they meet Sid. <laughs> they, knows, it, yeah. they know. They man. know. They
3: know. Now, this, this here is your Uncle Sydney. Hello, children.
7: Mr. Hancock. Yes. Here's our spending money. I think you had better look after it for us.
3: <laughs> uh, what do you mean? What are you implying? They know, they know, they are no mugs. Can't fool kids, they're like dogs, they can see straight through you.
4: <laughs> and then doubles back,
0: doesn't it? Ellen? Uh, can I have a receipt? Back yeah, they
3: know,
2: they
4: know. Yeah, a
2: yeah. great, a great line from Young Michael Anderson, who is really on top form. I think he has slightly more lines than um, Dorothy, doesn't he? I think so. But he he's right in there, cracking timing. You can tell that's not edited. That's just you know beautifully performed by him.
3: <laughs> Certainly, I'll keep the money for you.
7: Can we have a receipt?
3: <laughs> uh, <ain't no> <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right.
1: And the kangaroo
2: pouch gag he does with Bill uh, yeah. is superb again. Again, just. Yeah. Rapid fire performing. I mean, that's so, such a good yeah. performance for a twelve-year-old actor. Mm. Um, yeah, he was—he yeah. he was obviously um, destined for great things. Indeed.
0: Mm. I think westerns. I mm. think I recall um, you said he did a lot of uh, later in his career. And and he does so well also with timing his lines around the audience laughter. So there's, I know there are one or two places where he has to wait for the for the laughter on the previous line. Yeah. Um, ju- I think it just works so well. <music>
1: We talked about Michael Anderson, Jr, mainly because we've been in touch with him um, a couple of times. But also, of course, we've got Dorothy Marks, who uh, played the girl. I'm not sure if it's the same one, but there is a Dorothy Marks on IMDb who made several TV series in the middle 50s. And it looks like by looking at the, uh, the character names and things that they they were child parts. So I think it's probably her. It also means that she didn't do anything after 1956. And so so that's all we sort of know about her. But it does mean that when she did this episode of Hancock's Half Hour, she had been on the telly several times. She was in The Snow Queen, The House with a Secret, and The New Apprentice. And on IMDb, they're all referred to as family dramas. In fact, The Snow Queen, obviously, is a classic tale that's been remade fairly recently at Disney or whatever.
8: How about giving your uncle a nice big kiss,
1: kiddo?
7: He fancies himself, doesn't he? <laughs> yes,
1: yeah, so um, it, it looks like that—that that is her, and she had those three credits back in the middle 50s, but nothing after that. So um,
2: oh. I don't know what happened to her. A mystery. Perhaps she didn't pursue it as an adult. Yeah, perhaps quite you know. possibly. I mean, a lot of people sort of mm. do a bit of child acting and then they go into something else that they yeah. love more. Yeah. Or... Something completely different. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's a great line in this one as well, which I think has got to be one of my favorites, which my, my dad used to try and convince us when we were kids, you know, his modern houses, you know, we haven't got a fireplace and it's no joke wiggling in and out of those radiator pipes all night. <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I love.
3: Now, perhaps Father Christmas is late this year. He, he's been held up. It's shocking trouble he has these days, you know. I mean, all these modern flats with central heating and no chimneys, wriggling in and out of those radiator pipes. It's no joke. <laughs>
7: <laughs> he's never been late any other year. No. We're going to tell the vicar.
3: No, 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 no. He, he may have, he may have been. He, he may have, he may have left the toys
2: somewhere. Because when they throw an entry, we didn't have a fireplace. That was not what my dad said, you know. <laughs> Great line
4: Because they kind of um, Knocked these episodes out Fairly regularly And like I say The, the rehearsal was A little bit sporadic And sometimes quite minimal i would be really interested to I don't think we ever will but Find out how the process Of how they casted Those two um, young actors In the role I mean did Ray and Alan Go to a particular drama school And hold auditions? I wouldn't have thought so Or do you think They would have been put forward?
1: I i I think that um the producer would have gone to the drama school and explained what was required and uh, they would have then been put forward by the drama school. That's how, I, I haven't a clue, but that's how I imagine it would work. Yeah, I don't think they would have gone to the bother of putting kids up for audition. But uh, I think, you know, if the drama school say these are the kids, these are the ones that do it, I think they would have probably taken their word for it. They might have had a quick listen, but I but uh I mean, it just wasn't the case that people were auditioned for these parts generally. And obviously, normally they're using seasoned performers and actors and comedians, and they would just sort of turn up and they would be known to people. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine them uh, having auditions or anything for the kids' parts.
2: I'd imagine. So was this one produced by Dennis Maine Wilson? Was he still producer at this stage? But I'd imagine he would have gone to a local drama school and asked for a
0: recommendation or something.
1: He might have gone and seen saw, saw them or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. Just had a look. Yeah, it is. It's a Dennis May It is Dennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is Dennis. Yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, he was certainly very thorough. Yeah. He I don't think he would have taken a chance. But on the other hand, I you know, it's it was just something that went out on a whatever night of the week. I I just can't imagine him going through an awful lot of um, deliberation over it.
0: No, they'd have probably gone to the drama school and you said, yeah. who would you recommend for this part? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And taken the recommendation of the, yeah. of the drama school. Yeah, Well, they certainly chose well. Well, I think so,
2: yeah. Superb, weren't they? And then, of course, you know, they, uh, they go on strike because, uh, you know, they've got no presence as, uh, you know, Bill's fort <laughs> wasn't wasn't sufficient <laughs> enough to placate them.
7: Come on, everybody, dinner's ready. Come and get your Christmas dinner. No, we've gone on strike. Why? What's wrong? We put our money in our stockings, and when we woke up this morning, it had gone. And there were no presents in them either.
3: Oh, hard luck, never mind. I expect old Father Christmas has given them to children who haven't got anything.
7: Well, we haven't got anything.
3: (laughs) Well, you're not as badly off as some kids. I mean, you're having a good time, aren't you? No.
7: (laughs) (laughs) That's right,
1: they couldn't
3: find the presents.
1: You said, oh, I know where they are. Perhaps Santa's left them in the cupboard under the stairs, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, And that's, that's where Bill keeps his fort.
0: <laughs> and, he's, and Michael says, they're no good, they're made of cardboard. And Tony says, well, he kept, he's kept Bill amused for hours. <laughs> yeah, keeps him amused for hours.
3: I'll
0: bet he's left them in that old cupboard under the stairs.
3: Well, well, well. <laughs> so he has. Look, a nice fort and some soldiers. Put them back, they're mine. Cut <laughs> up, it's all in a good cause. I don't want them. He's a right misery, this one. <laughs> And
0: I love Bill's reaction to that is uh, leave them, they're mine.
4: It's
0: quite interesting
4: how he didn't, you know, break the golden rule of not actually disclosing that Father Christmas uh, wasn't real. Yeah, considering the subsequent one. I'm careful what I say here. Cut that bit out, John, just in case any spoilers. Yeah. (laughs) Also, my kids listen. I don't know. I saw a trailer
2: called, um, God, what was it called? For a film, an action film where Santa is. Badass guy who beats up criminals or something. It's not bad, Santa, is it? Very bizarre. No, not bad, Santa. This is a new film. It's a the title's a pun, but um, yeah, bizarre. But yeah, because of course he he believes in uh, Santa in Bill and Father Christmas, doesn't he?
0: He does, but he only started believing when he was about thirty six or something, wasn't it? I can't remember what age he was. <laughs>
3: Why should I have to dress up every year just because Bill still believes in Santa Claus?
7: Oh, you can't disappoint him. You know how he looks forward to Christmas and waking up in the morning and finding that Father Christmas has paid him a visit. His little cheeks flushed with excitement, his eyes all aglow, and the little squeals of delight as he unwraps his present and sees what he's got.
3: Good grief, woman. The man is 34. It's not...
4: (laughs) When uh, Bill and Father Christmas was that after this was filmed? Yes.
2: Yeah. This.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Film. Oh, well, sorry.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
4: I've looked up the the trailer
2: of the film. I was thinking of. It's called Violent Night. Ha ha. Violent Night. Oh god. Uh, very bizarre.
0: That sounds very bizarre.
2: It's got the chap who is in um, Stranger Things playing the the cop as a badass Father Christmas. Very very odd. It looks interesting though. I'm not sure if it's a comedy or not. That's the thing.
0: It's one of those that you almost want to watch to see what they've done with it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Curiosity, yeah, yeah. Anyway, back to James's question. There, yeah, this was this one was recorded uh, between the fifth series and the Transcription Services remakes. Is that right, Tim? Yeah, they this one was done just before Christmas, and the
1: remakes were done just after Christmas. I think, weren't they?
0: I think so. Yeah. Um, uh. Which would have, and I think the transcription remakes were the last transcription remakes were done in january 1959 uh, and this one bill and father christmas was december 58 so yes the the transcription services remakes were just after bill and father christmas after and that was after the fifth series yeah. so the transcription remakes were the last ones that featured hattie yeah yeah because that
1: was um i mean she wasn't in any of the series six episodes none at
2: all no she was busy giving birth I think, wasn't
1: she? Uh, no, she wasn't. Was she not?
2: Ah, no. Was it before? No. before It was at one point she went off to be...
1: No, this has come up before, and it's quite interesting because in the official biography of Hattie, I think, I hope I'm not dissing anyone here, but in the official biography, I think it says that Hattie left at the end of Series 5 to have a baby. And since I've become archivist, I've seen that referenced a number of times in different Different guises, people have said, Oh, Hattie left to have a baby. But a quick look on on Wikipedia, I mean, Hattie had two children, neither of them were born at that time. She didn't leave to have a baby. I think, and in fact Gorton Simpson said about it, but their memory is often quite vague, or was often quite vague. And I think they're getting confused with when she joined the programme. Yeah. She yeah. joined Hancock's Half Hour in the fourth episode or something of of fifth episode of series four they wanted her to start at the beginning but when they got in touch with her she was having a baby then and that's why she didn't join until a few Uh, episodes in could be yeah so I think it was a, a blurred memory that the thing about Hattie and the baby was then not the reason she left at the end of series five I think the reason that Hattie left First of all, people went in and out of these programs all the time. There was nothing unusual. She wasn't in at the start. She joined it. She left. She went into educating Archie like Hancock did. She came out. He came out. You know, that's how these people did it in those days. So I think there was an element of that. But also, she would have had a, a young family, and she was, uh, she'd was she started to make the Carry On films. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that time, when that Series 6 was being recorded... I haven't got the uh, the filming dates, but shortly after that, one of the carry-on films come out. So I, I expect she had enough on her plate, thank you very much, without turning up every Sunday night or whatever it was. In fact, the Series 6 wasn't a Sunday night job. They were doing two a day over a fairly short period, and, and I guess she just couldn't
0: do it. Yeah, because they were all pre-recorded. Other yeah. Other than Christmas, other than the Christmas Club handout, which was recorded separately, yeah. the others were recorded very, very quickly. Back in back in June, weren't they? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I wonder yeah. as well because didn't um,
2: more realistically to have a a child or something, have a baby at the end of the first series? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. And is there some confusion of maybe mixing the two up?
1: That's right. I think she. would it is said that she left to have a baby, but I can't find any reference to when her children were born. And our good old friend Wikipedia doesn't give, normally it gives, you know, spouses and children and parents, dates of birth and all that. But for her, it doesn't, which is a bit of a pity because I think we could nail that one as soon as we uh, found that out. But yeah, I, I, I it certainly said that uh, Moira left to have a baby, but also Moira left because... I think she, she wasn't
2: getting many good lines, really. And I, I think, yeah I know, I think we've talked about this before. Gorton and Simpson. It's a joke in one of the episodes, isn't it? That, that's about the first thing I've said this week, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. So they wrote it in.
1: Gorton and Simpson have, have admitted that they weren't very good at writing for women. And they, they found it a struggle to develop female characters in, in this sort of semi-domestic thing, because Moira was meant to be Hancock's girlfriend. Yet Hancock was this complete fool who who wouldn't have a girlfriend, and it just didn't mm. really work. And the only time a woman character worked was when they brought in Hattie not as a girlfriend, but as his secretary, and they could bounce off each other. And, and Gorton Simpson were quite happy writing that and building up the Hattie character. So, uh, Yeah.
2: yeah. But yes, I mean, there's a, a great aside that Tony has with Hattie, where he worries that he'll be put inside for diddling orphans, which gets a great reaction from the audience <laughs> as well.
3: I told him to make his entrance down the chimney. Oh, good girl. If they tell the vicar how they've been treated, we've had it. We'll be put inside for diddling orphans. <laughs>
2: And then of course, probably I didn't time it exactly, but it must be about bang on 25 minutes. We get the entrance of Kenneth.
1: Bang, I've got it written down here. Bang on 25 minutes, Kenneth comes in. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, with his typical good evening line. Great.
8: Look out, look out, here he comes. Good evening.
3: (laughs) Oh, sling the turkey at him.
7: No, don't
3: be like
0: that. Yeah, or actually he comes down. He comes
2: down, not comes in,
1: yes.
0: Yeah, (laughs) enters via the chimney.
2: Only after a bit of poking with a broom handle or something, isn't it?
0: Oh yeah, he's got
3: stuck. That'll get him down. No, don't go, don't go. Father Christmas is here. That's what you said last night. He is, he's coming down the chimney. Where is he? Well, I think he's stuck up the chimney. Well, give us that broom. I'll get him down. <laughs> yes,
0: he's a big fat man. Oh no, no, no! I've left my pillow up the chimney.
2: You're too skinny. <laughs> yeah, and his bag's got his sandwiches in it. That's what's the important thing that he's got stuck up in the chimney as well.
7: Hello, children. I am Santa Claus. Oh no, you're not. You're too skinny. <laughs> I'm not skinny. I'm a big fat man.
5: Oh dear, I left my pillow up the chimney. <laughs> I'll go back and get it. No,
0: don't bother. Just give them the toys and it. So, Tim, have you worked out then, could the kids obviously say, I'm going to have everything in the sack, and it's 80 quid's worth. Have you worked out how much that was in...? That'll
1: be 2,400.
0: Goodness. Oh, there we go. That was a big Christmas present for the two kiddies then. It was, wasn't it?
2: <laughs> a bit more than the bill to get my car through its M.O.T. recently. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, we've had a
7: talk, and we've decided what we want. What? We want all the stuff you've got in your sack. No, you can't have all
5: that. There's about 80 pounds worth of stuff in there. Of
3: course you can't have it. It's out of the question. But
2: uh, there's another bit which I, I found a line that I'd not heard before until I heard the more most complete version, I don't know, five or six years ago, where there's a cut line with, what do you want for Christmas, little boy? He's whispering in my ear. I like, oh, don't be silly. I haven't got Diana Dawes' phone number, which was cut out of a lot of repeats
0: I think of this one or certainly of a copy that I have. Of this one two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it wasn't in the earlier versions of this. I haven't so. got that in my version. Have you not got that in your version? No. Yeah, is, so the yeah. the one on the latest set, the latest C D releases as the series, which have got the most complete episodes that were available at the time. Yeah, the little boy whispers in his ear, and uh,
2: I can't do a snide voice. He says, Oh, no, stop, missing about. I haven't got a Doyle's phone number.
0: Yeah, it says, So, yeah. he um, only says, You're a bit of a boy, aren't you?
1: Yeah, that's a it. A
0: bit of a boy, aren't you? I haven't got Doyle's phone number. I'll have to check.
1: I'll have to check. Yeah. I just Now you've said it like that, I think I'm... it might be on. I... Mm. <laughs> I'm a little
5: boy. Come up and whisper in the end of the year. What do you want?
7: A bit of a boy, aren't you? Don't <laughs> be ashamed of yourself. Oh, I haven't got Diana Doar's phone number. What do you want? I want a train set, an airplane, a Davy Crockett a bicycle, a rocket ship, an air pistol, a wristwatch, a football, a fountain pen, a cricket bat, and a rowing ball.
2: Oh, no, stop missing a bell. <laughs> but certainly it was edited out of previous repeats that had been on mm. up until. However, I don't know what the sounds version is. That might be the most complete that's on the CD now.
0: Not always. The sounds can be um can be the, the edited version still.
2: Yeah,
1: I was just thinking that um in listening to it in preparing for this podcast, I've I've tended to listen to the sounds version just because it's less clicks on my computer. <laughs> so um... <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> But uh yeah. I've just got yeah. my uh, iTunes library attached to my phone and it somehow air plays to my headphones. Yeah. Nick set it up for me, it seems to work.
1: For some reason my itunes has taken a long time to open lately i don't know what's gone wrong with it or whether but um it when you click the icon it takes a minute or two to open whereas bbc sounds comes on in an instant so uh, hey ho yeah. yeah i've
2: just stuck my i've just stuck mine on an ipod so
0: uh, i have a listen from there
2: and then you get the great the best line from dorothy i think is where he's uh i don't want a doll I have one i don't want one <laughs> The screaming
4: match (laughs) that they do, which is is great. Yeah, that really sums up nicely, doesn't it?
0: Again, that must have been rehearsed, mustn't it? Well, you would think so. I mean, certainly... um, Just
2: before they went on stage, probably.
0: The the, the half one in in really quite a strong voice. Yeah, Yeah. Hancock gets a wonderful reaction from the audience. And, and, you know, it's a shocked reaction. Did he just do that? Yeah. Yeah.
7: Now
3: you little
0: girl, what do
5: you want?
7: I want to go back to the orphanage.
3: Oh, come now, my dear. Have a nice doll or something.
7: I don't want one! Have
8: one!
3: (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's a great comedy reaction. It's a very W.C. I don't know much about W.C. Fields, but it's very much that W.C. Fields of I hate you kids kind of grouchy character that he's playing all throughout it. And a skinflint as well, you know, six bits of privet nailed to a
3: broom handle. There's a Christmas tree, and... Half of that was for the tree. Yeah, don't it look like it. Six bits of privet nailed to a broom handle. <laughs> it was either that
2: or paint one on the wall, so keep quiet. Paint roller to make the, the paper chains and all of that kind
3: of thing. Well, this is more like it, isn't A few decorations make all the difference, eh? Nice of you to put them up, Hancock. Nice of you to provide them.
8: Yeah. Run a paint roller over a sheet of newspaper, cut it into strips. It's amazing what you can do. LAUGHTER well, you didn't expect me to buy
3: shop-made ones, did you? Threaten to pack it and provide your own lick.
7: <laughs>
3: <clears throat> Those paper bells, two and six each, It's ridiculous. What's wrong with these? little ingenuity, that's all? Plant pots with crepe paper stuck round them. And very effective, too. You don't need to pay these fancy prices. Just use your noddle. And the
2: idea of wrapping up his spare, spare pipe and his shaving kit to give to the kids, well, they won't. well, hopefully they'll give them back, you know.
8: What about some presents for the kids to hang on the Christmas tree? You can wrap up my shaving kit in my spare pipe. For <laughs> a boy and a
3: girl aged 12, well, with a bit of luck, they'll give them back to me. Did you guys used to make
1: Christmas decorations with the strips of paper? Oh, yeah, yes. when I was a kid. I, I used to do yeah, that, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Do kids, do they still do that? Do kids still do that? Uh,
2: I don't know well, if you're in Scouts,
4: maybe. I don't, I don't think they
0: do. I don't think people have paper chains in the same way that they always used to. Right, right. Well, we certainly don't, but it's possible that they do. But uh, and I know when when I was a kid, we used to have the bells that you'd uh, yeah. that they'd lie flat and you'd open them right That's around you. That's it, you open them clip, up, yeah. clip, clip them with a yeah. paper clip or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah,
2: they're all made of plastic now, though.
1: We we had the paper chains in like a spike. We used to call it a spider on the ceiling, and then you had a, a bell between each of the gaps. But, uh, I mean, I, I remember at school as well making the paper chains for the strips of paper, like like yeah. Sid was saying in this. You know, you, said you can't have two red bits together or whatever and he said "But well, what's it matter but you know we used to take great care in keeping all the colors apart yeah but um I, I i was just thinking about this the other day i wonder whether kids still did it um whether they decorated their rooms i mean your kids no. james don't don't do uh, no
4: I'm afraid not. i think i i remember doing it when i was sort of seven or eight but yeah i think maybe i was maybe me and john were the last generation last gen. to... yeah it could be last generation <laughs> yeah
0: yeah but there's a there's another interesting bit that uh is in the script that um, obviously got cut at rehearsal, because when he's talking about, I'm not going to spend a, a ne- not an extra penny is leaving my purse.
3: Christmas, what a lot of rubbish, it's a racket. All the prices go up. You can spend pounds if you're not careful. Well, I'm not going to. Not an extra penny is leaving my purse. I certainly can't afford any Christmas jollification.
0: And Hattie says to him, what about my Christmas bonus? To which Tony says, bonus, bonus, I should cocoa. I don't think you quite understand the terms of your contract. I'm sorry, I don't hold the Christmas and all the sentimental twaddle that goes with it. So if you brought me any presents, just give them to me now and shut up. It's <laughs> just brilliant. One of the things about all these
1: Hancock's episodes is, you know, when we often talk about these lines that have been cut, they've clearly been cut for time and purposes and not for mm. quality because there's some absolute classic lines being cut in all these, haven't they?
0: Yeah, because there really are, because he goes on, um, because um, Hattie says, well, I can't understand it. You've got money. Why don't you spend it? And then he gets very frightened and cunning mm. and he says, who's told you I've got money? I haven't. It's a lie. I haven't. I'm, I'm a poor, poor man. man. You've, been, <laughs> you've been spying on me. You're wrong. They're not pound notes I stuff in my mattress every night. They're newspapers. <laughs> Green newspapers. <laughs> So you are right, it's, yeah. it has to have been cut for timing. And it's
1: like Sunday afternoon at home, isn't it? You, 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 you were talking about that last time, yeah. The quality is brilliant. Some of the lines that were cut from Sunday afternoon are just brilliant.
4: He does make a, a reference about the free National Health Service. Oh, yes. Yes, you pay for in this. So you don't pick up on that? I've heard on the grapevine that uh,
3: Father Christmas is having it a bit rough this year. <laughs> So he's actually, he's having to make a small charge for his presence. (laughs) Yes, it's tragic, isn't it? Very sad, really. If I were you, I'd leave the fiver in your stocking as a sort of nominal payment. Mm -hmm. Like the free health service, you know. (laughs) I wouldn't be at all surprised if he threw in a little wooden fire engine or something.
7: That's not much for £5,
4: is it? And there's a a few titters in in your audience about... I paid my free national health insurance. Is that because it was fairly new at the time, because of the health stamps you had to pay?
1: It was fairly new. People used to call it health stamps, but the stamps you paid weren't for the health service at all. They were for benefits. Um, they were national insurance stamps that people used to buy. But people used to refer to them as national health stamps, but they weren't that at all. And I, I think we mentioned this before, there was in in the episode of Hancock's Half Hour where he gets faced with a hospital bill because he hasn't paid his stamps. It's, it's a load of nonsense because the NHS, since its inception, has always been free at the point of delivery. But I think that the joke they're making here is that at the time, everyone was promised a free health service after the war. And and in fact, even now, you know, people, it's still one of those things that's debated. But even though it was a free health service, you had to pay, so much to go to the dentist, you had to pay so much for your glasses. It was those sort of charges. And I, I'm, I'm not sure, but those charges might have not come in immediately in 1948, but might have been gradually coming in during the 50s, you know, as various chancellors the exchequer got the idea of, of um, recouping a bit of money. So I, I think it's about those sort of odd charges that you have to pay, even though it's supposedly a free health service. Prescription charges as well. That, that's always been a political thing as well.
2: Yes, yeah, so you get those little sort of
0: references, don't you? Mm. That's right. Mm. And, and then you've got um, Bill saying he's going to leave his cheap rooms and go down to the workhouse. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Hancock says, um, well, you'll get some pudding down there, yeah. um, which I thought was an interesting.
8: Mm. <laughs> I have lived with you, off you, for many years, but I didn't think that even you could be so heartless at Christmas time. You're my friend no longer. I shall collect all my belongings and leave these cheap rooms.
0: Because I, I think that they always used to be the sort of the, I don't know, the guardians or the owners of the workhouse always used to do a, a lot of food for Christmas for them. So, and, and puddings was uh. one of the big things that they used to used to provide to the to the residents of the workhouses. Yes, yeah, so right. it gets quite a reaction, doesn't it? Yeah, I was wondering that. Uh. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. workhouses were a bit before this time, though, weren't they?
0: Well, well, I still rate on this. I, I don't know whether. Th- Did he say workhouse or Doss House? He says workhouse. Oh right, okay. So I mean, I'm presuming that there was still they were still about in the no.
1: 1950s. No, they weren't. Have they sure gone they by then? Yeah,
2: I'm pretty sure they went years before that.
0: That's interesting. But then this is very
2: Dickensian script, so.
3: Yeah. <laughs> go on, then go on, leave, go on, go on, go down the workhouse for a few weeks. Huh. You'll get some pudding down there. <laughs>
1: I mean, there were places for homeless people, which were what's the word figuratively called doss houses, or they were reception centres, or whatever. Well,
0: perhaps, perhaps he's referring to that because there's one episode, isn't there, where um, he ends up having to sleep over the rope. Yeah. Well, again, that 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 was something from a, a bygone era. I mean, it was something something
1: that people would know about because it was thought quite amusing and uncomfortable way to sleep. Yeah, but I don't yes. think I don't think people slept on the rope in in the. 20th century, let alone in the 1950s. Mm. I'm pretty sure it's a um, look back,
2: as John was saying, a Dickensian it's thing. It's the roots yeah. of that, that sort of yeah, that sort of Dickensian mm. sort of. I mean, he yeah. even says, you know, I'm going upstairs to read me copy of Bleak House. Um, on yes, point, yes. Which I always think mm. whenever I see a copy of that book in a in a bookstore somewhere.
3: I'm going to bed and read me copy of Bleak House.
2: <laughs> and you've got the wonderfully uh, synchronized. If you don't let us have all that stuff, we're going to tell the vicar. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
7: Listen, fatty, if you don't let us have all the stuff in that sack,
2: don't
3: tell me. We're, we're going, going to tell, tell the vicar.
2: Which <laughs> uh, is, again, beautifully performed.
1: When we sent the tweet out asking people for their favourite lines, half of the people were saying turkey feet and chips, and the other half were saying, we're going to tell the vicar. You know, it's, it's the, I think it's like the standout line, really, the episode, isn't it?
2: I think so. It's the one that people remember. I mean, it's repeated a fair yeah. few times, and it yeah. gets more extreme each time, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it becomes a mini catchphrase. Really, I
1: mean, it's it's not a funny line in itself, but it's just in context and the way it's said.
0: Mm. And the synchronized bit at the end with yeah. Michael and um, yeah
2: Tony just really mm. adds to that. Yeah, mm. the one line that's in this that I didn't quite get, where he's he's uh, going upstairs to try and think how he can sleep on half a mattress. I never quite got the reference of that.
8: that's Christmas over for another year. Yeah. Where's Hancock? He's up in his bedroom trying to work out how I can sleep on half a mattress.
3: There's <laughs> him yeah, right. Those kids have got the right idea. I might be able to use it myself when they grow up.
2: Is that just trying to be penny saving? Is it because
4: he keeps his keeps his money in his mattress, maybe? And he had to sort of saw it in half. I don't know. That's what that's what sprung into my mind.
0: Yeah, or has he had to? Mind you, I don't know why you'd sell half a mattress. I'm wondering if he had to sell his worldly goods to pay the eighty quid. I don't know. That's a good question, though.
4: Always well, having to share with Bill. If you imagine a mattress stuffed with money, maybe stuff of money is taken out, and it's suddenly half of it's gone. I don't yeah. know. But that's what initially came to my mind when I thought that. But you, your mind does do that, doesn't it? When you listen to Susie, it makes up its own story in its head.
2: Yeah. You sort of, you know, work out your own thing. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it's not quite circular, but it ends with, uh, well, I'm going to see if this, the home for destitute children will take me in. So he's sort of gone from taking in orphans to deciding, no, I'm going to become an orphan and um, live there.
3: Oh, cheerio. I'm off. Where are you going? This Christmas has cost me a fortune. I'm broke. All me savings are gone. My mattress is as flat as a pancake. So where are you going? <laughs> to see if the home for destitute children will take me in. <laughs>
1: I made a note here, tell Martin it's not his circular script.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Not quite.
0: I know, I've never thought of this one as a circular one. But in a way, it
4: does, uh, when the vicar comes and he does mention, he he goes, I'm talking about your letter about, oh, while we're on the subject of letters, was it on on his headed letter paper? What was it? What was his?
0: That Tony, hasn't it turned out nice again? Yeah, oh. yeah. yeah, hasn't
2: it turned out nice again? Oh, is, is that? I, yeah. oh, here we are again, Hancock,
3: in the various episodes. I didn't see any appeal, and I certainly didn't send any letter. But you did. I have your letter here. Look on your headed notepaper. Tony, hasn't it turned out nice again, Hancock? <laughs> <laughs>
4: on the letter, he's, just, he's assuming that the vicar's come round to either drop him round some food or something like that, or... Or someone to take him in for Christmas.
0: Yeah. Which is very similar to the Christmas Club when the vicar mm. turns up, when they've got nothing in the fridge. Yeah. yeah. And he says, oh, put, put me down for a, whatever it is, put me down for a Christmas pudding or whatever it is that he thinks the vicar can bring, bring round for him. So I, I've written down another topical reference. Oh, There's a couple of Hancocks playing in football. Oh. There's a lot of, a lot of Hancocks about, there's a couple of them playing football. Did you check
4: it out? I did wonder about this. I'm excited to hear this.
0: I've looked it up, but I don't know if these are the right people. Amazingly, there was a Barry Hancock and a Ray Hancock, both playing for Port Vale, which was a second division team. Barry Hancock from 54 to 64 and Ray Hancock from 48 to 56.
1: It's got to be a first division team,
0: surely. And first division was Johnny Hancocks with an S who was playing for Wolves 1946-57 and scored 343 goals.
1: Ah, uh, that's more like it. But I
0: don't know if any, any other listener knows of anyone in the first division. Although, of course, Alan was a fantastic football fan and chairman of his local football club. Um, so it might have been a lower division because he knew the players well because of his interest in, uh, in the sport. That was in later years, though, wasn't it, Martin? But that was in later years. Which football club was he
2: a chairman of? Hampton <laughs> FC, wasn't <laughs> it's it? It's gone very quiet, hasn't Is it? it Hampton um, FC? It like i got a program right? here somewhere because I didn't know this. Um, I thought, I'm sure it was Hampton. I want to see if I'm right now. I'm probably not.
1: Yeah, I think um,
4: Hampton and w- Waterlooville. if well, It was something FC. Oh. Football club, <laughs>
2: yeah. I don't know much about this kick football game. There's not many of them right? There's
0: quite there's quite a lot of those. <laughs>
4: yeah,
0: Dub that in after we we we'll definitely have it. It'll definitely be in the missing page.
4: Or, or is this a cliffhanger for the end of the series? <laughs>
0: because his his funeral, Alan's funeral, was held at his football club. Yes,
1: yeah. What 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 does Hancock? What are the words that Hancock uses about the footballers? Martin does he say a couple of Hancock's?
0: yes he says there's a lot there's a lot of us about there's a couple of us playing football i think you've got the wrong hancock there's a,
3: a lot of us about you know there's a couple of them playing football <laughs> no, no need to be modest my son a man 23 railway cuttings team. it
2: is hampton and richmond borough Air football club oh, thank Ham- you. hampton and richmond yeah used to just be hampton of the Richmond.
0: Yeah, knew it was local to um local to where he lived. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, oh, he's a he was a football fan and supported Brentford it says on Wikipedia. Anyway, so John Johnny Hancock's might have been uh, for Wolves might have been one of the one of the ones that he's referring but I could only find Barry and Ray Hancock both from Port Vale in the second division. So if any listener has any ideas who the other footballer might have been if it's somebody else from the first division, please let us know
2: excellent so i think then it's uh, probably it's uh, time for the scores so uh, what do you think you're going to give that one young timbo i think i'm going to give this one at
1: nine i think this is um, a great episode of hancock's half hour i think it's a great christmas episode and i think the thing that tips the balance on this particular episode is the, uh, the appearance of the two child actors i, th- I think they. they they play their parts so well, so professionally, and their timing is so good that they gel brilliantly with uh, with Bill, with Sid, with Hancock, and with Hattie. They interact with with all of the main cast, and I I, I just I just think that's great. I think it's got some good lines, great lines. I love the uh, the Scrooge Hancock type character when he's in one of his mean modes and. Uh, I think, as we said at the beginning, you know, this is probably the the uh, uh episode of, of of all of all the Hancock's, um, and obviously it's done deliberately because it's Christmas and and it's you know he, he is playing the bar humbug character, and uh, I think it's great, and I think they all they all do very well. It's, as I said, it's got some great sequences in it, and uh, you know I, I I love it when. Uh, you know, we've got Ray and Alan or whatever uh, singing carols. Uh, I love it when, when Sid comes and sings a carol. It's got some great, uh, great sort of sequences in it. And I, I just think it's it's an altogether good episode. I like it a bit better than The Christmas Club because it has got Hattie and Bill and people in.
2: And uh,
1: yeah, so uh, a solid nine for me. Well, I think I'd have
2: to concur with uh, giving it a nine myself the The kids are, are great in it. It's got some lovely lines in it. Kenneth's great as this sort of Giles cartoon, along with Alan and Ray. Um, I can almost imagine the three of them in short trousers as I as I visualise it. Uh, it's you know everyone's pretty. They hit their marks on it. It's not the my very favourite episode. I think I I think Christmas wise, Bill and Father Christmas is giving this one is difficult. They vie for space, but this one I think I give it a nine because it's. It's just a jolly good fun episode. Everyone comes across very well. Some wonderful lines in there as well. And um, yeah, it's just jolly good fun.
0: So for me, I'm going to buck the trend a little because this is definitely my favourite of the Christmas episodes. I love listening to this one. i even sometimes dig it out when it's not Christmas. Oh, good grief. So I'm I'm going to give this one a 10. I love this one. I think the, the same as when we did um, 13th of the series, I think all of the cast sparkle. The kiddies are absolutely brilliant in in their roles with this and and the way they feed off of Hancock and Bill and their interaction, uh, I think is superb and some absolutely amazing, amazing lines. So uh, for me, it's, it's a 10.
4: I'm going to agree with Martin on this. A 10 from me. And I think when I was listening to this I realised that I was enjoying it so much it didn't really matter to me where the story was going at all. Because I just think the chemistry is absolutely spot on between each and every single person. Even Ray and Allen's little skit, you know, near the start when they're doing the carol singing. Yes. Kenneth Williams playing a couple of different characters. I think Sid's on good form as well, as is Hattie. I love this sort of motherly nature of Hattie um during mm. this episode. And um the sort of the joking Around you know her eating the food etc. it's just sort of light hearted, good fun. Um, and Bill Bill plays it really really well. The kids are superb, and for me they do steal the show in this episode. Uh, there's no fault of it, and it doesn't matter what happened in that episode. Sometimes I was listening to it, I, could, I couldn't remember what happened at the end because it was such a long time I listen to it, but it doesn't matter what happens at the end because it's just so well put together. And I was actually shocked Tim when you mentioned earlier that they don't recall having a read through or any sort of. Rehearsal, but if that is true, then it's absolutely staggering because it's just performed so well. Yes, a ten, ten for me. It's it's near perfect, and I think it's a, a brilliant Christmas episode. For me, it's head and shoulders above Bill and Bob Christmas. That's probably not controversial. One of my less lesser favorite ones, if I'm being brutally honest. The Christmas Club is still. I would probably scored that. But I, I I can't remember I did score. It. I think I probably scored about nine. But I think uh, this one just tops it, for me. You was away when we did that, James. Was I away? Uh, yeah, you were. You're were off. Oh right yes, this. I wasn't very well. You had a sick child. Yes, right. I've always got someone, but there's always someone sick. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's my it's my turn today. <laughs> but no, I I love it, perfection. And there's so many episodes that are like that, and it's it's why I enjoy doing this because there's just so many joyful episodes. I just don't think now that any series of anything would have so many stonking episodes in, in such a short period of time.
0: No, absolutely agree with that. I mean, when you look at our scores over all of the episodes mm. that we've that we've done, television or radio, they've all been very high scores. And, you know, it because the quality of the scripts and the acting of the cast whether it's the radio cast, whether it's guests or whatever. Absolutely. It's all all first class.
4: And it's also pure as well because if you think nowadays there'll be so many people dip their fingers, well, don't release that. That episode's really good, so save that one to the last. But it doesn't matter if it's the first episode, you know, the the 12th or the 15th of the series. Like, it doesn't matter when they are, but they come. They come thick and fast. They come really, really strong.
0: And although you've got what we're saying is perfection in the scripts and how they're acted and all the rest. And yet you've got the little imperfections or the little bits where there's ad libs to the audience still included. And you don't get that today. And I think that adds such touch of, it's such a personal touch. It does charm. Yeah. Charm it adds, doesn't it? And and I think it it adds charm and I I think it makes the episodes.
4: Indeed it does. I loved it. I really enjoyed listening to it again. It was was really interesting. It's been a difficult week. Everyone having colds and sniffles all week so yeah really really enjoyed that. So I'd say an average of nine and a half pints
2: is definitely more than a Christmas stocking is for. So uh, that's about it for this week so if you want to take it away Tim. Why not join the Tony Hancock
1: Appreciation Society today or buy a gift subscription for the Hancock fan in your life. You can find us at TonyHancock.org.uk for all the
0: information on how to join. For just £13 a year You'll have access to the Members area of our website and receive four magazines a year by email, packed with information on Tony, his shows and archive material.
4: Members also get a digital-only bonus pages
1: supplement every quarter. Or you can have full-colour printed copies of the missing page posted
2: to your door for £16 in the UK or £26 worldwide. And we are a friendly and welcoming bunch, so please do join. We have reunion events with archive displays and video screenings. Please do
4: get in touch. We'd love questions, conundrums, and feedback. To do so is very easy. Send your emails to podcast at tonyhancock.org.uk.
1: Keep an eye on our Twitter accounts for the latest news on the podcast and all things Tony Hancock. Our Twitter accounts are East Gene Lad, Tony Hancock Appreciation Society, and Very Nearly An Armful.
0: This was the final episode in our current series, so we'll be back after a winter break. So don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe for forthcoming episodes.
2: For now, that's very nearly an armful, so I'll say ta-ta. It's sayonara from me. Chickadee stitch. And this is GLK London signing off for a quick cough and a I was going to say one, two, three. Good, Good King kin went since since since. That's enough. Since That's since that. since. <laughs> three shillings a word. <laughs> this has been an official podcast of
3: the Tony Hancock Appreciation Society. Unfortunately, it was not written by Alan Simpson and Ray Gordon, whoever they are. The announcer was me, Robin Sebastian, currently appearing in the saloon bar of the in Racket. Hmm.
7: The uh, well-built lady.
3: Well-built? Do <laughs> you know, the kindest thing anybody's ever said about her.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, the uh, conversational style of our podcast is sometimes of the you speak, I wait, you pause, I pounce variety. <laughs> <laughs>